Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Faith to Go podcast, your one-stop shop for everything you need to have faith discussions throughout your week with your friends and with your family. My name is David Tremaine, and I'm the Digital Resource Curator for faith to go My name is Charlotte Kessler, and I'm the Youth Commissioner for the Episcopal Diocese of San Diego. And welcome back, everybody, to the faith to go podcast for this week leading up to Sunday, September 25th. We're going to be talking about the gospel from Proper 21 in Year C. Uh, But before we get into any of that stuff, we always like to check in with one another about where we saw God in this past week. So, Charlotte, it's your turn. It's my turn and I'm ready. Where did you see or feel or not see or feel God, consolation or desolation, in this last week of your life? Well, so I'm going to go with those quiet things that happen often unnoticed that are God's presence with us. Um. I think because the beginning of the school year was just a couple of weeks ago, and so therefore at Christchurch Day School, chapel has begun. And for chapel, I am ultra guilt. I said everything for it, Um, with the exception on the, now that we are back to having Eucharist on Tuesdays, ultra guilt does come for that. Um, I'm not trustworthy. No, I'm kidding. But I've been thinking so much about the quiet goodness um, that is the way in which Altar Guild serves and prepares for Sunday. And this past Sunday at Christchurch was like a welcome back Sunday. We had our ministry fair. Um, we told Godly Play in the circle of the church here, the whole congregation, which was really fun. But before the service started, the altar was bare. There was nothing up there. There were no torches, no candles, no um, cross. Nothing was set on the altar at all. And uh, Mother Regan invited Alter Kill to come out. And we all sat in silence for five minutes at the beginning of the service mm-hmm. and watched them prepare for the Eucharist, including putting the hymn numbers on the hymn words, pouring water in the baptismal font in the back. Ten or 15 things that perhaps people didn't realize were actually something that was even done in the service. And that meditative prayerful, quiet pace. You could feel God's presence in the room with us as we were watching them serve and prepare for the service. And I noticed it in that space, but then I was thinking about it in relationship to all of the times in which we are quietly working and how God is present in those places too, Um, whether it is for something holy like preparing for Eucharist, or if it is just in the holiness of everyday life, washing of dishes, sweeping, mm-hmm. playing, all of those things. And just thinking about that um, was really a God sighting for me of that moment, but also like it opened the lens a little wider for me and considering the way in which God was moving in my everyday. Uh-huh. Love that. I love that last thing, the idea that uh, when we have intentional times of silence, then we become aware of not just God's presence in that moment, but in all the pl- all the places throughout the day. That's great. So there you go. There's your invitation from Charlotte to a contemplative practice for the day. And we would also love to hear from you about where you saw or felt or did not see or feel God's presence uh, moving in your life when it was hard or when it was easy to feel God's presence moving. We'd also love to hear any of your questions or comments or stories from your week of faith discussion and reflection about this gospel. Uh, You can contact us through uh, email. You can contact us through Instagram with direct messages or 
by following us. You can give us a call and leave a voicemail or send us a text message. And you can also contact us uh, through the chat function on our website where you can find all the Faith to Go resources every week for personal reflection, family discussion, and small group conversation. So now we're going to get into the gospel for this upcoming Sunday. Again, uh, proper 21 for Sunday, September 25th. Charlotte is going to read it, and then I'll give some context and we'll share a point. The gospel for this coming Sunday is from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may warn them, so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Mm. Even if someone rises from the dead. Some truth telling. I wonder if that's going to happen in this story. <laughs> um, okay, so this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus tells in the, the very end of chapter 16. The very beginning uh, verses of chapter 16, 1 through 13, were what we talked about last week, the parable of the dishonest manager. And then the six verses in between, uh, Jesus is talking about money. So this is all chapter about money. And coming on the heels of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the prodigal son story. So, But now Jesus is like really pushing on the money thing, which is awesome. Good job, Jesus. Um, so here we are. We've got the dishonest manager. We have Jesus talking about the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they ridiculed him. That's the part we don't hear about. And then the rich man and Lazarus. So that's where we are. This is the end of 16. Uh, still, you know, a few more chapters before Jesus eventually makes it to Jerusalem. Um, but not too long. We're getting there. And that's all for today, uh, I think there is to say. Um, this is not to be confused with Lazarus from the Gospel of John, who Jesus does, in fact, bring back from the dead. Um, this is just a fictional character in a story. So... In my childhood, that was very confusing to me. Yeah, it is confusing. It's also interesting that the, that he gets a name, but the rich man is just a nameless, faceless rich man, which is great. So there's just a lot in this story, and we could spend a long time just pulling out little things that we see and think about. But 
We've got a couple points uh, to share, and Charlotte has the first one. What I actually want to talk about today is this chasm that we hear about. And the language about the chasm doesn't come until pretty far in. I would say it's within the last third of it mm -hmm. um, when Abraham is answering the rich man and denying his request that Lazarus, Lazarus comes and comforts him. And Abraham says... Um, child, remember that during your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. And I was thinking about this chasm that is named there because of the differences between the rich man and Lazarus. Because quite clearly at the beginning of the story, when we hear about their two lived experiences, there is a chasm between them, mm -hmm. a chasm of difference, a chasm of goodness. Um, and when I say goodness, I don't necessarily mean that one is good and the other is not, but like of one of them has really good things. And as we hear in this, one of them has evil things. Um, but that all of these vast differences are not labeled as being on opposite sides of a chasm, but in reality, that is exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. That they could be sitting side by side, Lazarus and the rich man, and there would still be a chasm between them because of the magnitude of difference between them, of the magnitude of harm that that difference causes to Lazarus. And I'm thinking about it in relationship to a lot of different things. Certainly in this instance, it is money, as you named Jesus talking about money. And money often equates with positions of power um, and esteem and goodness in the world. Absolutely. And yet, if you view that as privilege, then there are lots of other ways in which we are separated from each other by chasms. And that could be applied to any person who sits in a position of privilege, me sitting in my whiteness, in my cisgender identity, all of those things that are of privilege for me. Um, and someone who I may even consider a friend who does not experience, like not, I mean, obviously the rich man and the Lazarus, I don't think Lazarus are actually friends, but you can sit in privilege in relationship with another human being who does not experience that same privilege as you are. And there is a chasm between you. Mm -hmm. And the chasm that is between you is one of inequity. Mm -hmm. And that is what I hear about in this story is, is there is the named chasm that comes after both have died and are up in heaven. And then there is the chasm that already existed between the two all of the time and that the rich man in his privilege did nothing to cross. He knew the chasm was there. In fact, he was quite comfortable with the chasm that was there based on everything that we read here. And maybe somewhere in his heart, he felt sorry for Lazarus. We don't get language around that, but maybe he did, but he did nothing to comfort Lazarus, to change Lazarus lifestyle he did nothing to cross the chasm to Lazarus at all in it. And so as I reflect on the fact that the chasm already exists 
existed and was perhaps just either not noticed and or considered not important. That then when we get this language from Father Abraham, where it says the chasm has been fixed, I think that that permanence of that language of something being fixed comes from the fact that it was never addressed before. That it wasn't that it didn't it didn't exist before, but that it wasn't fixed before. That yeah. in our lived experience, in our lived life, we constantly have the opportunity to choose to change things, to address things, to name things, to call out things, any of to do anything mm -hmm. with them while we are living and breathing. Each and every day, each and every moment we have that choice. And yet in choosing not to, that then the chasm was fixed. Yeah. I love that. I, I, was, I started to have that thought as you were talking, and then you hit it. Boom. <laughs> the head. Like, oh my gosh, fixed. That means just like, it hasn't been fixed until now. And that's the, that's like, the, that is the tragedy of them, of the death really, is that you've run out of time. You've run out of time. You've run out of time to like, relate to the people that you have been taught is your job to relate to it's like as a human being you know and so yeah i love that and i i love that like I'm just i'm thinking about the the thing about like who is who is longing for relationship like lazarus is longing for something he's longing to like have a have a place at the table of this rich man you know and I just can't, I can't read this without seeing it as just like a real critique of the wealthy people. Now, these are like, Jesus is, is telling a story of, these are caricatures of people, you know, like they are extremes. Like the rich man is like so extremely wealthy beyond, you know, anything that you might ever see. Um, and <laughs> to the point, and, and like is so, so much disregards Lazarus, you know. Um, to the point that it is not even to give Lazarus any part of health. And Lazarus is so, so poor that like, not even, not only can he get food, but he's like food for dogs while he's alive. Like it is like, so these two huge extremes, but it's for the sake of highlighting the, ex the extremes of the culture that they were living in, you know, like they are sim symbolic of the wealthy and the in this time and in our time i mean like this is the wealth gap in, in america in the world you know um and so i'm just thinking like i i love this idea that the chasm is like that that when they die it's not that some like some chasm emerges between them but like you said it becomes fixed and is revealed to them as what has always been true and that unbeknownst to the rich man to be in relationship and to close the gap between he and this and Lazarus is to have directly experienced what it's like to live in the bosom of Abraham. If this whole end time scene is like the, the spiritual truth of what has been going on the whole time, then Lazarus, in receiving the, the bad things of the world, was in the in the bosom of Abraham the whole time, and the and the rich man was in torment the whole time, though he had all the good things. 
you know so like they it's like they needed each other you know like because Lazarus was still suffering and the poor man had this kind of opulent wealth um but but the rich man didn't recognize that you know and that's like the tragedy of the story and and so I'm just like I'm it seems like such a clear a clear call from Jesus to like make up the distance now like this is your time you know like and and it's interesting because I think that I'd say that Jesus is is probably preaching a more radical message of that kind of closing of the gap than even Moses and the prophets were like if you look at if you look at the the like those first five books of the Bible, um, the the law of Moses in there, it is often about, it, it, it is about, I mean, the, the rich man's not following those laws because you're supposed to give money to the poor. You're supposed to support all the people in your community. So like the, the rich man is not following those, like even those most basic rules of like making sure, because it's, it's his obligation to take care of Lazarus in some way. This person that is like literally he's walking by every single day he lives outside of his house you know like it's not like he's unaware of his presence and so it's his job in terms of the law of moses to like give him money but if if the like if the end time scene is like a revelation of the gap between them the gap might be smaller but they're still not having the same experience of the because to me, that's what the gap is. It's a gap in how they're experiencing the world and what they're receiving from the world. Because it's, it, like you said, does, it's not that one is good and one is bad. One person, like in and of themselves, inherently in their character is good and bad. But that the world has been set up for one of them to receive good things from the world and one of them to receive bad things. It's how they are experiencing the structures and systems of the world that are unjust. And the rich man is not doing anything to change the way that they're to, to to close the gap in their experience of the world, so that you know to give to give the poor man money for or or food or something might close the gap a little bit. Like if the rich man walked out and split his whole estate in half and gave it to the to Lazarus, then the gap is gone, you know, and then they can. It's not that they can't relate to one another, be in relationship with one, but not with one another. They can be really great friends, but there's still something there. There's still a difference in how they're experiencing life. There's still a difference in how they're being supported in the world. And so, like, I think I just I feel like there's that there's something like more radical uh, that Jesus is calling people to here to just say like, take like become. Because the tragedy for the rich man is that he has no awareness of the gap, you know, until he's until too late. So at the very least, Jesus is saying, like, there is a gap here. There are there is a huge gap in how people are experiencing the world in our economy, you know, in our community. And like it is on you, wealthy, rich people, to use your power to close the gap, you know, because there's like, you have, this is coming on the heels of the unjust manager, you know, like if in the, within the context, like Jesus has just said not that long ago, you can't serve both God and wealth. You know, it's like, 
It's like Jesus is saying, like, how are you, how are you serving your own wealth, and thus creating this gap in your in your connection to the world and to other, and like, what is the way you can you can use that wealth now? Use the power that you've been given. Use the power that maybe you've stolen. Um to rebuild those relationships and to rebuild the world and to close the gap in experience. So I think wealthy people, you know, can't walk away from this being like, I'm pretty sure I'm doing okay. I just don't think that's possible. You know, it's the more, the wealthier you are, the more you should be discomforted by this teaching, you know, and the harder it should be to really feel like you're living out what Jesus is asking you to live out the more wealthy you are. Um, and as long as your your experience of the world is this huge gap between you and the person on the other end of experience of the world spectrum, it's your, your work isn't done. Until you die, and then it's fixed, and then you're out of time. Sorry. But, yeah. So... I think it's just for all of us to to like recognize that we're all in this spectrum of experience and that and that means that we have gaps between us. So what is the work that we each individually can do to close that gap? You know. And then Jesus kind of ends the story. You have to figure out what it is. And even ends the story being like even if some crazy thing happened and some dead person rose from the dead and came and told you to change your ways, would you listen then? Like, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for you to change your practices? And I think also that there's, for me in it, there's always the question of what is the story spelling out and then what is the story also saying? And so just naming the fact, coming back full circle, tying our two points together of like, is it a chasm of wealth? It's you between between you and the person next to you. Is it a chasm of privilege? Is it a chasm of difference? Um, what is that chasm between you and it? And in what way are you either choosing to cross it and or to ignore it? So I yeah. think it, it's it, I think it always is exactly what is being said. And then I always think there is another layer to it as well. Yeah, and like even even in the even when he's dead, the rich man doesn't get it. Like, he's still trying to order Lazarus around like he's some other kind of person than him. You know? When it's like, how much more abundantly obvious can Abraham make this to you? That, like, it hasn't been working for you, you know? That's the frustrating thing. Is like, Jesus is also illustrating, like, how wealth really blinds you to these realities of the world. To the point in which, when it's completely revealed to you 100%, you still can't change how you're interacting with people, you know. So anyway, yeah, I think we should all just be really unsettled by this. So I think that's the whole point. So those are our two points for this week. Um, point number one was uh, Charlotte's, and it was about this chasm that has been fixed and uh, becoming aware of becoming aware of those chasms in our own lives between us and other people and and the idea that like this chasm isn't really fixed until until they die, you know, so that as long as we're here, as long as we're alive, we've got a chance. Chance. 
Um, number two was mine, and it, yeah, it was similar to that. It was about um, you know what the call is to this to the to people with power, to all people, you know, to become aware of uh, the differences and experience we have with other people, and and Jesus's radical call to closing that gap of experience. Um, and how we can go about doing that practically in our own lives and in the lives of our large institutions and things like that. So having heard those two points, we'd love to hear from you. What would your third point have been for this week if you'd been a guest on the podcast? We, you can find all those ways of getting in contact with us in the description for this podcast episode. We'll be back next week to talk about the gospel for the first Sunday in October. That'll be proper 22 in your seat. And until then, we say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.